Hello, everybody. Welcome back to RevDive. We're going to kick things off a little bit differently today. Usually we start you right off with whoever our guest is, but I just I can't skip over the fact that we are only 100 days away from these gigantic Medicare cuts. And I know there's other stuff coming next year, but oh I just God. cannot move past that. Taya. Kim, how are you <laughs> feeling right now about the upcoming year? You know what, Taya? There is a lot to unpack for 2023. And I know every single year we have, you know, anxiety about what's going to happen the, the upcoming year. But gosh, do you, I mean, obviously you heard uh, President Biden announce that um, we're at the end of a public health emergency. And that announcement alone had ripple effects uh, throughout the industry. So there's a lot, yeah, a lot to look out for in 2023. Um, my goodness, our hands are going to be full. I think that everybody was either like panicking or enraged when they heard that. And the first thing that I thought about when I heard it and, you know, that combined with the cuts that are coming and I'm starting to get SGR PTSD, I was like, we need our spill from the Hill correspondent. So today yes. we're going to welcome back Claire Ernst, Director of Government Affairs at MGMA. And please keep in mind, all of her opinions are her own, but they are all awesome. <laughs> welcome back, Claire. Hi, Claire. Well, I appreciate that, Taya. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. It's good. It's good to be. It's good to be back. And I love that when you're listening to President Biden, the first thing you think of when he says something wonky is that you need to <laughs> I need to talk to Claire about this. this oh my gosh! Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just reiterate what Taya said. Um, although I work for MGMA and lots of my opinions are pretty in line with, I mean, I am biased towards uh, physician practices. These are my own opinions for purposes of this podcast. So uh, with that being said, uh, so my immediate thoughts, yes, we have 100 days about 100 days until these Medicare cuts take place. And I, too, am having SGR PTSD. We have seemingly um, recreated a very similar situation um, where we have this cliff at the end of the year where we're scrambling. And so maybe it would be helpful just to do a really quick, um, I guess, sort of overview of how this has come to be and why we're dealing with this and why we're having, like, SGR deja vu. Please, if you could explain to, to the group, because I know that some of our listeners probably weren't around for SGR and they probably don't know what we're talking about. And then the others who were around like us, like Kim and I are like, how did we get back into this position? Exactly. What is going on? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's one of the things that one of the bizarre things that keep me up at night, but you know, the other thing that keeps me up at night is my four month old. So <laughs> it's good that I don't sleep anyways, because I can just think about this stuff all the time. So back in 2015, uh, Congress passed MACRA, which essentially uh, reinvented the wheel, replaced SGR with a new payment system that emphasized value um, over quantity. And so there was two tracks. There was MIPS, which everyone is very should be very well acquainted with. And then there were APMs. And the goal was to have people participate in MIPS and then transition them into APMs eventually. Um, the problem was that, and in, in, in doing so, the uh, positive 
um, adjustment for payments froze at a certain point around, I think it's 2021. And so that meant that like at that point, we were hoping to have enough practices in APMs and there was a 5% lump sum bonus. So that was the incentive. Um, Unfortunately, there were not enough APMs created in order to fulfill that. Um, instead, you know, everyone just ended up staying in MIPS. And so now, you know, you have people remaining in the MIPS pool, but there's no positive adjustment for that. Um, the funny thing is PTAC, which was the group that was commissioned with coming up with these uh, alternate payment models um, in, in which they they did approve several. They never it never <laughs> they also never were able to get any of these payment models off the ground to a point where back in 2019, I think some of the commissioners on PTAC actually quit. And it was like sort of dramatic wow. and a DC wonky, as dramatic as you can get for like you know, PTAC. <laughs> um, anyways, fast forwarding to this. So the fee schedule, you know, is still in place. The conversion factor, which is the multiplier by which all Medicare payment is calculated, um, you know, that amount, the adjustment was in a freeze. And then in 2021, well, earlier to 2021, effective in 2021, there were changes to the office visits. So the ENM visits were revalued, they were increased, they had historically been undervalued. Um, and so CMS increased them. Um, what I don't think a lot of people realized at the time was they increased them in Medicare, you know, it's a zero net sum game. And so when you make any sort of increases, there have to be decreases in other places. And so when they increase these office visits, they had to decrease the conversion factor, which, you know, in a sense, decreased payment across the board anyway. So even though you had bumps for office visits, you know, they were actually less than what you would have had because of the decrease of the conversion factor. Um, so this is called budget neutrality budget neutrality requirements. And so the fact that this took place in 2021, that's when it was effective. That's why in, at the end of 2020, we had to deal with these cuts. Everyone was like, oh, wait a second. Like, this is really bad. This is like double digit cuts. Like this kind of, in a way, negates some of the progress we made on the office visit increases. And then, um, you know, CMS, which is who's in charge of coming out with the fee schedule every year, they said, oh, like, we can't do anything about this. This is like a Congress thing. And so we were able to rally some of the doctors in Congress and get this this one time fix. Um, I mean, it, I say one time because it was for the next year. But then at the end of last year, it was the same thing. We were like, oh, we have to do this again. And then now we're in September, <laughs> October of 2022. And we're like, we have to do this again. And it's actually even worse because at the end of 2023, going into 2024, the um, G code, which was for the add-on add complexity code that was um, finalized and supposed to take effect in 2021, CMS predicted that it would be used almost like 100% of times with office visits. Uh, Congress actually delayed that for three years because that was um, that made up for about three and a quarter percent of the cut to the conversion factor. And so we're looking at a very similar conversion factor cut going into 2023 and then 2024. If it's not, there isn't like a larger reform plus than three percent and some change for the G code. 
Um, and then we have the PAYGO sequester, which is what amounts to, that's why we at MGMA, we keep saying there's an 8.5% cut. It's because it's 4%, well, 4.42% for the conversion factor, which also, you know, had dealt with some other changes within the fee schedule that are proposed. And then the 4% from PAYGO, which is basically, um, whenever too much money is spent on any legislation, money has to be, you know, cut in other places and Medicare is one of those programs. And so they can cut up to 4%. And uh, the American Rescue Plan that was passed last year was so expensive that it triggered it. And reconciliation, like this isn't the first time that Congress has passed really expensive legislation, but Congress will usually waive or like wipe the scorecard clean. They can't do that procedurally with uh, reconciliation. And so it had to be waived outside of that legislation. And because the American Rescue Plan was so controversial and so political, um, no one was really like quick to do this. And so they ended up delaying it for 2022, but um, it was only delayed for a year. So that's what we're dealing with at the end of this year. I have to tell you the the more I dig into this stuff, the more the pay go sequester and budget neutrality terms, I start to feel like it's it's Harry Potter, you know? People say those terms, it's like Voldemort. I'm like, Shh, those are the words we don't say out loud. Um, because, yeah. <laughs> because they cause so much frustration and strife, right? Yeah. You start to, ever, as soon as one of those comes up in an email or podcast or something, like I cringe, I'm like, again, no, not again. Oh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think for those who, you know, something that I like explain to staffers or people who aren't as well versed with how healthcare and reimbursement work, which you guys are and your listeners largely, I'm sure are, but, you know, healthcare is one of those areas where if costs get more expensive, you can't inflate the cost of you know, of your services, like you have these contracted rates with Medicare, you have these, and those are rates that, you know, commercial plans base their rates off of. And so the only way to, you know, sort of outrun cuts uh, to revenue would be to, you know, one way would be to grow, which is incredibly difficult because of the workforce shortage issues. So like you can't really outgrow and see more patients. And then, you know, like at the same time, we have this like pretty unprecedented, or at least not in the last four decades, um, inflation going on right now. And then so the cost of everything is going up too. So it's really hard to cut costs on either side. So I think, you know, policymakers, it's important that they understand that um, it's, (laughs) you can't just raise prices like you would anywhere else, like at a grocery store, at, at anything. I mean, it's like, these are the rates. So those almost 10% cuts are a problem. And I think, you know, what medical practices can do is really look at ways that they can improve efficiencies within their organizations. Um, Because you're absolutely right. Like the, the rates are the rates, the allowable charges are, I mean, the allowables are the allowables. So um, trying to find ways to improve efficiencies, doing, you know, more with more. So, you know, really leveraging technology in organizations, making sure that we're capturing, you know, all services and making sure that we're doing reconciliations, um, payment posting, um, making sure that we're really tight 
on our revenue cycle models. So, you know, although we can't really change the, the cuts that are coming, I think there's a lot that we can do internally to improve some um, organizational structures. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think there is some hope, at least for 2023, it looks like we're going to be able to, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about delaying this for another year and then having to deal with it again. But, you know, I think right now the priority is a two-prong approach with um, MGMA, AMA, a lot of the specialties where we're just trying to prevent these cuts from taking place in the next year. So it buys us enough time to tackle this in a more comprehensive reform that's something that we're looking at. It's, you know, Congress is also looking at it. They're put, they put out these RFIs, requests for information. Uh, doctors, Baron Bouchon in the House just did one a few weeks ago. And basically like, this is an RFI and macro. Like, what should we do? And we're like, <laughs> question. Uh, so, you know, I think that the wheels are, are turning. Um, but I, I, you know, last week, um, the House introduced a bill that would at least partly address the cuts, uh, the cuts to the conversion factor. And so I think we feel pretty confident that um, we'll be able to push that through by the end of the year. And then Congress has never, I'm pretty sure, we not waived PAYGO and like let it go into effect for Medicare. And so if they did, that would be kind of unprecedented. Um so I, I'm thinking that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to deal with that for next year, but that doesn't negate the fact that, you know, this is going to be an even bigger problem going into 2024. So for our listeners and our rev divers, you know, whenever Kem and I are taking, talking, we're speaking, we're always pitching advocacy. Um, you know, Kem and I have always been very heavily involved in advocacy, but for those that we have that are listening in, I think so many people are kind of scared of getting involved because they don't know what to do. And they they have all of these opinions, they feel these frustrations, but they don't know what they can do to help affect change. So kind of for our general listener base, what would you recommend? Yeah, so I mean, I think that... For your general, I mean, I think that, you know, I can see how it could be scary to get involved. It's like, where do you start? It's, you know... Congress, DC, um, MGMA, we try to make it easy for members. We try to make it easy for anybody. I, I mean, for instance, we have this letter that I sent out to everyone I could think of yesterday. Um, it's just like a template letter that you can use like our software just to send it in. And it's about, you know, these cuts specifically, like asking Congress to avert them before the end of the year. And so, I am happy to give out that link. Um, I'm like, send it to your relatives, send it to your friends. Like, I don't care if they like health, you know, if they're like interested or work in healthcare because the, you know, it does affect, it does affect everybody. So I think that's a really good, um, you know, starting point and it takes five seconds, but, you know, talking to your legislators is also like, important and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal or, you know, it matters, but it, it does. Um, you can always pick up the phone and, and call them and complain. Yeah. <laughs> you complain to them. That's, that's like what they're there for is to hear you. Uh, so, you know, don't forget about that, but, you know, also just reading as much as you can, like trying to see, like for me, a lot of my job is trying to see where things are going 
and seeing where, you know, like, okay, this is the problem now, but like, where are we going? Like, what, what are we going to have to deal with in 2024? Like we already know. Um, and so just kind of educating yourself on that is, is really important to, you know, help, um, your practice or whoever you're advising to tr- just try to stay one step ahead of it. Yeah. And, you know, Claire, it seems like just from the experiences that Taya and I have with have had with the legislature federally and um, on the state level, they want to hear those stories that, you know, that mm-hmm. that are happening in medical practices that are impacting their patients, the constituents of these legislators. So it's also good for us to share what's happening. We're boots on the ground from for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to that end, we did a we did a like a, a questionnaire survey over the summer where we asked. We ended up getting 500 plus medical groups that responded, and we were asking, okay, like, what are these cuts going to do to your practice, like operationally? Like, we know we don't want them, but like, what decisions are you going to have to be like forced to make, like closing? like locations, like limiting hours, not accepting new Medicare patients. And we got great results. I mean, they were like pretty upsetting, but they were great for my purpose. And then I literally, I spent all of Wednesday emailing Senate staff, like copying and pasting from each state. Like this is, these are the cuts, but this is like what your constituents are saying specifically about like what these cuts will do to practices in your district and in your state. And so having that is really powerful. Um, so Kim's right, like having those experiences, having those uh, stories are, you know, they're really impactful. Now, Claire, we... The stories are always going to be huge. Yeah. We're we're coming up on having to address the elephant in the room, which is what the heck is going on with the public health emergency um, formally. Um, everyone is kind of no, like... that's the other Baltimore word, Kim. <laughs> I know, right? That's another word we don't... <laughs> But but just thinking about the president's comments, but then also thinking about the state of the nation right now um, and where we will be at the end of the year, like looking into your your, you know, your your glass ball. um, What do you think? (laughs) How should we prepare? I mean, you know, obviously we should be doing. Um, our due diligence within our organizations to prepare for the, the end of the public health emergency. And Taya and I, we talk about that nationally and locally, but, you know, from a regulatory perspective, mm-hmm. um, do you see this ending at the end of the year? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> so, no, it's okay. Um, uh, my, my, my crystal, crystal ball. That's ball. a glass ball. <laughs> it's really... <laughs> With new mom brain, it's really hazy these days. Um, I will say that the public health emergency is, you know, has to be, in order to stay in effect, it has to be renewed every 90 days. And that HHS said that they would give us a 60-day heads up as a courtesy. Um, I personally think that 60 days might be too short of a period of time. I think of the public health emergency and every waiver that's been included as like a rubber band ball. And like, I just like, it's all like tangled up and it's going to take some time to unwind, so to speak. Um, That being said, HHS never told us, never gave us that heads up. And so 
it makes me think that it's going to be renewed again in mid-October, which puts us through mid-February, which puts us through the elections, puts us through a lot of the winter. Um, I'm not quite sure. And, you know, with, with vaccine authorizations and everything, now that we have like the pediatric, you know, this is just me like, like hypothesizing, like one reason we weren't that I wasn't convinced they were going to end it when we thought they were earlier this year was we needed some of the pediatric vaccines to get pushed through and they needed emergency authorization. Now that like that largely has been done, I mean, I think like the administration's in a better shape. And I think that, you know, the the world in our country is also just like, you know, a different place than they were two years ago. Um, but it's created a situation where, you know, you have to make as as a business owner, you have to make business decisions based off of things that are temporary that may or may not be, you know, may or may not um, be permanent. And so I think like my, my, my non-legal, non-like, you know, advice would be, you know, to prepare for the end of it, because it's not going to be forever. That being said, um, you know, things like telehealth, for instance, that has catapulted telehealth decades forward. I mean, I was working on telehealth way before this, and we couldn't even get like mental health services to be um, done in the home. And so the fact that, you know, back in 2016, like a quarter of a percent of Medicare beneficiaries use telehealth. And now we have the number that we have now is really telling. So I do think that some of these things that were, um, you know, temporary flexibilities during the pandemic will be made permanent to some extent. And so you don't have to plan for necessarily like no more telehealth. But, you know, I think you do need to make these business decisions based off of what's going on too in your state, because, you know, things like telehealth, there's federal rules, but there's also state licensure rules. And so just making sure that you're following and you're acquainted with all the state uh, rules as well is important. Yeah, I t we totally agree. I mean, this is the, the, the telehealth waivers are going to really impact medical practices when they end, uh, especially the originating site um, requirements. That's going to be a huge component. Luckily, you know, we've had the um, announcement and, and publication that mental health services are, are going to get that um, you know, that extension, that expansion um, permanently. Um, but we haven't gotten that for the evaluation and management services yet, which is like, you know, a lot of us have our fingers crossed and, and really hope that that is going to, you know, push through. Um, but yeah, I think we just need to to prepare. I think it's been very frustrating also for for people who aren't used to coming in to see their doctors, especially like think rural docs, right? Um, you know, some of their patients are four hours from there. So if they get hurt, let's say they're out working on the farm or they're, you know, they're not feeling well, whatever, if they can telehealth into their primary care doc and identify, do I need to come in or is this something I can treat at home? Right. Um, there's that opportunity to prevent an exacerbation. Yeah. And now they've had two years of getting used to, I can call my doctor from my phone and, and connect with them and stay engaged with them. When that goes away, I don't think you're going to see them, you know, I don't think we're going to see patients going, okay, I'll just drive the four hours. Then I think we're just going to see that fall back off. And I think we're going to see those rising costs from exacerbations again. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, Congress keeps asking for more data in terms of like cost and quality outcomes. But the, the problem with collecting this data before making anything permanent is that the data is largely skewed towards the pandemic. And so if you're looking at data from before the pandemic, there's really not any data. If you're looking for data that we've been able to like really comb through thus far, it's been largely, you know, substantive care as opposed to maybe added care, which might be more like what Taya you're talking about, like triaging a situation and trying to figure out whether or not it necessitates coming in. Um, I think the payment piece is something because I don't ever, I don't see CMS like reimbursing at the non-facility rate forever. I see them reverting back to the facility rate. And that, you know, really hasn't, that's like, you know, in some services, that's like a 60% difference in payment. And so it really makes a difference for your business model, whether that's sustainable or not. Um, but I do agree that it's it's very convenient and it's, you know, it, it's appropriate. It's not always appropriate. That's why not everything is on, like not everything's on the telehealth yeah. list. I think it makes sense to have practitioners decide what is appropriate, but um you know, it, it has like ramifications for the whole family too. Uh, like when you think about older adults who have Medicare and they, you know, need to go to the doctor, um, they're not always mobile. They're not always cognizant enough to be able to actually get to the doctor. So you have adult children taking off like an entire day of work <laughs> to take them to the doctor when, you know, like they could just call in um, and figure out like if it's actually necessary to do. So there's so many different, I mean, benefits to it. I, I think that it needs to be, there need to be appropriate guardrails for sure. But, um, you know, I, I think this is just going to be a longer we have five months from the end of the pandemic that Congress has allowed for these um, flexibilities to remain intact. So we'll see what happens after. But um, I don't think it's a knock against Congress to say that Congress rarely acts until they kind of like the 11th hour until they need to. And so I don't foresee them making anything permanent really before that point. Yeah. And just kind of looking to the future um, there's a lot that we all need to stay on top of. And you made a really good suggestion that we just need to read, stay in touch with, um, you know, credible sources like MGMA and others who are putting out, you know, good content, new information. Um, Claire, we really hope to have you back soon. Um, we are coming up to, you know, October 1st, where we're going to have our ICD-10 changes. And then January 1st, we're going to have our CPT and Hicks Picks updates. Um, so gosh, lots, lots, lots more to get prepared for. Um, but Claire, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been amazing. Thank yes. you for having me. Always I love talking you. with you guys. Yes, we love getting our spill from the hill. So <laughs> thanks for that. Sorry, it's never a good spill. It's always like really disappointing. Maybe one day when you have me on, it'll be like good news. But usually I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this has definitely been helpful for us and for our listeners. So until we meet again, Rev Divers, keep diving into those Rev Cycles. <laughs>